HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by TD Bank, a proud supporter of local businesses like Five Borough Cafe, celebrating 31 years of Mexican food and drink in Forest Hills. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. This episode was produced in partnership with our friends at TD Bank. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a communications associate and audio producer for Heritage Radio Network. Today we're asking, what can worker cooperatives do for your business? And how can you start one? First, let's define what exactly a worker cooperative is. Uh, worker cooperatives is a business that is owned and democratically controlled by its workers. So key differences of a worker cooperatives and corporations or sort of the traditional model is that in worker cooperatives, profits do not go to external stakeholders or single owner, but they really go to the workers. And then secondly, they're governed by the principle of one worker, one vote. And that's really the magic of worker cooperatives, that the employees are empowered and they really have the ability to share in the company's profits directly. Meet Commissioner Doris. My name is John L. Doris. I am the commissioner of New York City Department of Small Business Services. The Department of Small Business Services oversees the Worker Cooperative Business Development Initiative. This programming has been funded by the City Council since 2015. Essentially, it connects those interested in forming a worker cooperative with a network of services. The city is invested in this model because of the benefit it offers to workers and to the economy. You know, some are, you know, creating a pathway to wealth building for, you know, workers, um, particularly for workers of color, as they are seven times less likely to be laid off than their counterparts in traditional models. Then lower pay disparities. So you see that with a two to one pay ratio between the highest paid and lowest paid worker. So it's really good when it comes to dealing with pay disparities. Also resiliency during a crisis. And we've learned that through COVID, worker cooperatives, again, retained their jobs four times more than non-employee owned uh, counterparts. Worker cooperatives also hold promise for bettering our food system. As folks who are trying to 
build a better world, have an economy that works for everyone, not just the people who have access and wealth. And so we want to make sure that everybody has access to good food. Everybody has access to good jobs. This is Steph Wiley, a worker owner and co-founder of Brooklyn Packers, a Black-led food distribution cooperative. We get paid to do all the packing, the sourcing, delivering. We source food for different clients. Their clients include small food delivery companies, nonprofits, and mutual aid groups. But we don't mark up that food. We're kind of like a pass-through because we don't believe that food should be a commodity. Everybody needs food. So, like, making money, making profit off of food doesn't feel good to us, and so we don't do that. We just make sure that we center our labor in how we make our wages. In this way, they're flipping the traditional model of food production and distribution on its head. This is Steph's fellow worker owner, Karna Ray. Oftentimes that food is cheapened by the labor that's involved, often not paying people living wages. Most of the food that we eat and is available to us is kind of built on the back of, of, of very under underpaid labor. Uh, and I think that part of the mission of Brooklyn Packers is to address that this is work that de- requires and demands a fair living wage to be done. We do that in the microcosm of six worker owners. We'd love to see that extend to or have some reverberating effect in the larger food space. There are lots of lofty ideas rooted in the worker cooperative model. But these principles don't come effortlessly. Upholding them is hard work. Well, you know, democracy is hard. It's sometimes very slow. You have to be able to tolerate it just, you know, on an everyday basis, but also in a business context. Steph started Brooklyn Packers in 2016. So the learning curve is that, you know, not everybody agrees. (laughs) That's that's a big part of it. It's like when there's like a major decision, like how much are we going to pay ourselves? What's the schedule going to be? How should we incorporate as an LLC or actual co-op under the New York State statute? Um, those are big decisions. So sometimes we didn't all agree. And you have to be okay with not agreeing and coming to some consensus at some point to move things along. At the same time, you know, being humans that work with each other and, and being able to get along and be respectful And I think that's like the biggest thing is oftentimes the relationships that exist inside the business and the co-op is kind of has an extra layer of like, you know, being able to relate to each other in a really great way because we are all accountable, really accountable to each other. Whether you're starting out or expanding, strong partnerships lie at the foundation of a worker cooperative success. Like I, I can teach anybody to do like packing and a lot of the things that we do can be taught very easily. But can I get along with you every day is the bigger question, actually. You know, how do you make decisions? What's your temperament? Those types of things. For example, when you work for someone else, a small company, big company, you don't get to choose the people you work with. The people in charge do, the owners do, the managers do. And oftentimes, the people that you work with are people that you wouldn't want to even be friends with, but you're doing this work with them in some way on some schedule and you have to, you have to be with them in some way. 
as a worker co-op, you get to choose your partners. And that's been like really important to me. And I think to everyone else, like choosing your business partners, because you are accountable to these people and these people are accountable to you. So that's my biggest advice is to actually have a process for bringing on people and making sure that it starts with the relational aspect of who you are, who that other person is and how you're going to work together. So what does it really look like to put this spirit of cooperation and accountability into action? Commissioner Doris walks us through some of the early steps that any group interested in forming a worker cooperative will have to take. Well, in the startup, you you know have to determine a business plan just like any other business, uh, marketing plan, etc. Determine the aspects of their business that pertain to the shared ownership. So that's, again, technical support we'll give there. And members of the cooperative will write bylaws. So you need bylaws and a governance structure, and then decide how you know, you're going to divide profits up amounts yourself. It's also possible to convert an existing business to a cooperative model. In the decade after the Great Recession, it's estimated that the number of worker cooperatives in the U.S. nearly doubled. Here we are trying to fight our way out of another period of severe financial hardship, And New York City's Department of Small Business Services has seen an uptick in interest in forming cooperatives. You have a significant portion of business owners who are contemplating moving on from their business. And I think that's also an attributing factor to the increase in worker cooperatives or those seeking to actually use it as a model. Because as business owners are looking to retire, you know, a lot of them want to find a way to empower their employees who have been with them and made those businesses successful. This requires a different set of steps to get started. An existing business, you know, transition to a worker cooperative really will follow a process where the current owner sells to their employees. So first, perform a due diligence process where a fair selling price is determined. The second is, When the employees and owners reach a deal, the business uh, transaction is then completed, right? And the employees become worker owners. So you got to get to a deal. (laughs) And then the third part is the current business owner can choose to exit the business or stay on as a worker owner in the newly formed worker cooperative. As I said earlier, New York City offers resources to facilitate the formation of worker cooperatives. One the structure itself. Now, if you can imagine, you know, going from a worker to an owner, it's a it's a whole nother construct, right? And it's a whole nother skill set that you need really to manage the operations of a business. And so our support, you know, helps these businesses with that structure, which I think is very, very important. We also help them with partners like the working world would connect to financial assistance and support that they need, right? So not only sort of the nuts and bolts of management and running a business, uh, which you would need, we do supply that, but we also work with you around like, how can you get the money you need to actually run your business? And then I think the ongoing technical support services both for operational needs and for financial, educational purposes and needs, 
training for your workers, all those things we provide through the network and governance also, you know, support legal assistance as well, marketing support. With the emphasis that worker cooperatives place on democracy, there's also training on how to build enduring professional relationships. We do offer conflict resolution as well, right? And I think that is critical, you know, within the structure, you know, how do you sort of come to an amicable solution when there's conflict? How do you sort of work that through? And then also just general, like interpersonal uh, skills building and also leadership training and, and, and governance support. You can get connected to these resources online or over the phone and can find that information in our show notes. If you have an existing business that is considering the transition to a worker model, I first want to say that please contact us. (laughs) We'll be right back after a short break. This episode is brought to you by TD Bank, a proud supporter of local businesses like ours, Five Borough Cafe. Founded 30 years ago in a community we love to serve, located in downtown Forest Hills, Queens, serving all your favorite Mexican dishes and cocktails. Recognized for our frozen margaritas, steak nachos, and chipotle pork chops, to name a few. Only steps away from the E, F, R, and M trains. Find our menu and learn more at fiveboroughcafe.com. That's the number five, borougcafe.com. Welcome back to the Big Food Question. We've covered some of the tangible benefits and robust support systems for starting a worker cooperative. But not every business can make this transition. The worker cooperative model is, yes, a viable model in every sector of business. More important is the characteristics of the business, though, and the workforce, including sort of the consistent workforce, employees who have been there for a while, um, an existing management structure where the functions of businesses are not relying on a single person, but there are some limitations, right? So limitations are mostly around the business size. Many businesses do not grow beyond one or, or more full-time employees. In New York City, 65% of small businesses are less than five persons Essentially, most small businesses are too small to become worker cooperatives. If your business consists of two employees, you're not really engaging in collective decision-making. You don't have anyone to break a tie, for example. Most worker cooperatives in the U.S. have between 5 and 50 worker owners, but it is possible for them to be much bigger. Cooperative Home Care Associates is a Bronx-based home care agency and worker cooperative with 2,000 employees. But no matter the size or sector of a worker cooperative, their viability is a matter of both economics and culture. Ownership is a significant talent attraction and retention tool for business, which you know shows itself up and the returns that that business has. If you're not constantly having to recruit, but your folks stay and you attract good talent because they have, they know there's an opportunity for them to own, I think it's important. We also see that economically that there's improved productivity, right? Workers see the direct connection between their labor, both in quantity and quality. 
and the success of the business. That, you know, how do worker cooperatives help culture? Well, they engenders workers' loyalty. Balancing these dynamics is a big responsibility. Cooperatives have shared rewards, but also shared risk financially and decision-making. There are times when navigating financial health and cultivating an engaged workforce can feel at odds. Steph speaks to how he reconciles these issues at Brooklyn Packers. I can tell you, like, yes, there absolutely are trade-offs. Pretty much every week or every other week, we analyze, like, what is coming into the account, and we make a decision on how much we paid ourselves. Like, that's kind of an unheard-of thing. In, in my in my experience, I've, I've never done that before, Brooklyn Packers. <laughs> so I think I think in that way, it, uh, people, everybody understands, like, oh, we have this much amount. We would like to get paid this amount, but we could actually only afford to pay each other this amount. And so that, that's for the health of the business. I think in that way, it's like, yeah, there's a trade-off, but culturally, it's worth it. Brooklyn Packers has been able to grow their operations during the pandemic. Karna was onboarded as a worker owner during this time. That was what attracted me to it, is that everything had a high level of intentionality. The culture of shared ownership is empowering in periods of growth as well as during challenging moments. Our democratic process, I think, is engaged whenever we have to make a decision and I, I don't know. It's like the first time that I've had work where I felt that I have my hands on the levers of all the decision making and I'm holding those levers with five other people. The worker owners are at the heart of Brooklyn Packers business model. And by staking a claim on the value of their own labor, they also hope to empower their wider community and the food system at large. Like one thing that really strikes me about working in this is that food literally gets from place to place, hand to hand. Someone plants it, someone picks it, someone harvests it, someone sends it to a delivery truck. That hand brings it to us, our hands bring it to somewhere else. And it's a chain of people. Oftentimes, like, our food is presented to us anonymously, we buy it in markets anonymously. And keeping that in mind, I think is important just for a sense of community, obviously, but also in terms of how we keep ourselves like fed. How, how do we get nutrition into our bodies and into our families? And all? it's I don't know if that's an obvious thing, but it, it's once you kind of think about it that way, it extends to the human element of, of food distribution. Brooklyn Packers also has a 200 person farm share under the brand Brooklyn Supported Agriculture. And Steph is in the process of creating a cooperatively run farm so that he can be a part of each step of this supply chain, assuring it's imbued with humanity, dignity, and accountability. We are part of that solidarity economy. So when you spend your dollars with us, you are supporting democratic practice and also supporting a system that really wants to keep the money, the economy accessible to everyone. Thanks for listening. Please check out our show notes for the link and phone number that can connect you with resources for learning more about worker cooperatives in New York City. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers 
across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Commissioner John Aldoris, Steph Wiley, Karna Ray, and Michaela Fisher. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, and Luke Griffin. This episode's producer was me, Dylan Hoyer. Our audio engineer for this episode is Armin Spengen. Our theme song is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.